everyone. This is the Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime suspense and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that the Crime Cafe has two ebooks for sale the nine book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbiemack.com, under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. But first, let me put in a good word for Blueberry Podcasting. I'm a Blueberry affiliate, but that's not the only reason I'm telling you this. I've been using Blueberry Podcasting as my hosting service for my podcast for years, and it's one of the best decisions I ever made. They give great customer service. You're in complete control of your own podcast. You can run it from your own website. And it just takes a lot of the work out of podcasting for me. I find for that reason that it's a company that I can get behind 100% and say, you should try this. Try Blueberry. It doesn't require a long-term contract, and it's just a great company, period. And it also has free technical support by email, video, and phone. So you can get a human being there. Isn't that nice? Hi, everyone. My guest today is a screenwriter and director. And uh, she has written feature film screenplays, as well as made documentaries that have won prizes and been nominated for awards. And if you go to imdb.com and type in her name, uh, you'll discover that she's made some other really interesting documentaries. One in particular I want to see now is My Life as a Film. Oh boy, that looks good. <laughs> that looks really interesting. But her most recent release is a documentary about Patricia Highsmith. Thus, mm -hmm. she is on the show because, as you know, if you are a crime fiction fan, you know that Patricia Highsmith was the author of Strangers on a Train and The Talented Mr. Ripley, about two very interesting characters, <laughs> um, more than two. But anyway, but what you think you know about the author might not be who she really is. So let's talk about that with uh, my guest. The movie is called Loving Highsmith, and my guest is writer and director Ava Vitija. I hope I'm saying that right. Vitija. Vitija. Oh, I knew it. Darn it. I knew it. Fine. The it's Spanish fine. pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> Muy mal. <laughs> no, no. It's good. <laughs> Very cool. It's actually um, an Albanian name, so <laughs> you could... It's a what? An Albanian name, so you I could... was going to say, you know, I was looking it up and I was trying to figure out the roots <laughs> of it. <laughs> Very interesting. Um, I just want to say you are the first working screenwriter director to appear on this show oh, and a woman. So take that patriarchy. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad you're here. Um, it seems you've been fascinated with Patricia Highsmith nearly all your life. What was it that provoked you, your, your interest as a child in her? Actually, it, um, we always went to um, holidays in the village where she lived. It was a, a small village in the Ticino, which is the Italian part of Switzerland. 
and it was very well known that she lived there and my parents told me that this famous writer is living here and uh, alone with her cats and this uh, somehow I was I must have been around seven or something and this somehow uh, created a little mystery for me because I couldn't you know quite figure out why a woman is living alone with the cats <laughs> The first little mystery, <laughs> but I think I forgot after that, and I, it it only came to my mind when I was already working on that film. So, <laughs> yeah, how interesting that appeared very early on in my life somehow. That is very interesting. It's unique to have a famous writer like that that everybody knows living in your little village, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least almost like being in a, an Agatha Christie novel. <laughs> yes, um, having seen the movie now, I can say that Loving Highsmith seems like the perfect title for this film. Uh, can you tell me what made you choose that title? Actually, I knew Patricia Highsmith as probably everybody else knows her as this a bit very somber and... Um, a uh, very elegant crime writer. Um, I also had this, you know, image of hers as being a recluse since I knew she lived alone in Switzerland and we knew all her a bit, um, uh, how's it called in, in, in English? Sometimes I lack the words, but uh, um, she, she had this face, you know, not very friendly when she was older. Kind of grim. <laughs> Grumpy, <laughs> grim and quite uh, dark she had this image and then I started to read her diaries and her notebooks and they are in an archive in Switzerland because she has been living in Switzerland for the last 13 years of her life uh, there and then um, when she died all this came to an archive in Switzerland and I went there and and I just started reading those private uh, texts which were not published at that time and I discovered a woman that was so completely different to everything I had known about her. And that was for, for me like, you know, this huge surprise because I, I somehow uh, saw or discovered through these texts a woman that was a very young um, writer uh, trying to get into profession and always falling in love with women um every week you could say or every month <laughs> another one and she was she had kind of a romantic um a romantic side to her as well and this was for me a complete uh, surprise i would have never imagined such such a woman and she she somehow was very sympathetic as well i could all, all so from the very first moment i could connect somehow to this to this woman in the in these texts and um and i think it's from the start it was very clear that the love the love biography of hers which was so present in these private texts would be the main focus of the film so loving highsmith is a bit about highsmith who loves but also uh, about myself or other people who love highsmith so it's exactly a, it does seem to have a kind of a double meaning. Yes. <laughs> there was a side to her that people just didn't see that came out in these journals and interviews yeah. you did. 
Yeah. What was your process of getting access to the journals and the people you could talk to? Mm -hmm. Actually, that process the, like? the journals were all, already, I could, you know, just go and uh, I read them in the archive. Uh, for the diaries, I needed a little more. It little needed a little more time because they were not, you know, open to the public yet. But after uh, two years, I could also read the diaries, and um, I was always in contact with the publisher, of course, who owns all the rights. So they knew what I was doing, and I could, you know, go to the archives. But actually, a lot was already, you know, open to the public, and. Um, then I contacted at the very first moment, actually, uh, the remaining family of Patricia Highsmith, which doesn't have the same name. They're called uh, Coates, not uh, not Highsmith. And uh, I was in Texas for a film festival. I just, you know, called them and asked them if I could come by sometime. And half a year later, when I was there again, I could visit them. And they were quite open to my request and to my um, interest somehow. Also, maybe they didn't know how famous her aunt from Europe was, probably. Uh, <laughs> I got the sense that they didn't know a lot about her. <laughs> yeah, somehow they told me, ah, oh, you know, our, my dentist, is, he's Spanish, and he, he says that in Europe she's very well known. I mean, they knew that she was writing, they knew she was a writer, they, she had written all those famous uh, books adapted to, to, to the screen for films. They knew about that, but somehow they were not aware how big she is. And, and they told me they still have some boxes of material of hers. And I could just look, look it through. They didn't know what is, what is inside, basically. And it was full of this gorgeous photographs of her as a child and as a young woman. And this was a bit the, the, the start of the filmmaking process because for a film, you need images. You cannot, cannot only work with texts, of course, which is always the problem when you try to make a film about a writer. You have <laughs> lots of texts and sometimes nearly no images. And especially when the writer is already passed away. <laughs> so. <laughs> But with Patricia Heisman, there was quite a lot of really beautiful photographs of her. And she was a, she was also this very attractive, very, um, uh, she was a very attractive, very, very interesting young woman. So you could immediately imagine to make a film starting from that. And then I uh, contacted her uh, ex-girlfriends. The first that I contacted was also a writer, Mary Jane Meeker, and she had written this book about Patricia Highsmith um, because she had lived with her, she had a relationship with her, and she had written a book about that time. So it was, uh, it was, I think, the first one I contacted. Also reading that book, I, I had a bit the feeling that she sees it a bit the same as, as I see it. Um, we, we both had the same vision of the young Patricia Highsmith a bit. She knew her personally, of course, but what, what I had read from her personal diaries, uh, I had a bit the same impression, so I wanted to contact her and um, she was open to, to, to a little visit. It was a bit difficult to, to 
you know, do all these uh, travels, but I finally I could manage to go to the Hamptons. <laughs> <at some point. laughs> And we had uh, wonderful chats, but she didn't, you know, she didn't want to participate in the first play, uh, in the first um, stages of the project. She, she didn't want to make a film because she said, you know, I've already written a book. Why should I now make a, a film again? I've, I've, I've said it all in the book. So I said, okay, but I can't, you know, make a film without <laughs> people. <laughs> so, I need some talking heads. <laughs> yeah, I need some some people who can share their memories of Patricia Highsmith firsthand. So, yes. and I absolutely wanted to have a film which is not, um, which doesn't only have experts literary experts i wanted some i wanted to, i wanted to add something to the image of patricia Highsmith, which is really her private life so i for me this was crucial that i could find the the ex-lovers or ex-girlfriends of her to you know to add really the thing that was missing in her story in the in the public image somehow it's the kind of depth you couldn't get from an expert only Absolutely. from somebody who knew her. Yes. So that's fantastic. Um, I was fascinated by the fact that she had written this novel I never heard of called Carol, once called The Price of Salt and written under a pseudonym mm -hmm. about a woman in the 1950s who falls in love and doesn't die. And this is like <laughs> remarkable. <laughs> She doesn't for the she's not going crazy. <laughs> she's not uh, ending up in a crazy, cra how's it called in, in English? A crazy home or something? A lunatic asylum, yeah. yeah. Asylum, something. <laughs> Institution, yeah, yeah whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I just thought it was remarkable, just remarkable that she did it. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like a lot of great themes are touched on in this film. What would you like to see viewers take away from this movie? How, what, what's the message here? What's the, the thought, the theme, I, think, I guess? I really think uh, they will discover a, a Patricia Highsmith that is really a bit different. She's very, uh, she's also very emotional, something that you couldn't, you know, quite imagine if you read her books, you, probably have the feeling that the the writer must be very ha, has this a bit cold and a moral quality which she's always exploring but it's absolutely not the case because she's exploring those dark topics of society somehow that probably also have uh, roots in herself but um, she was a very sensitive person who could you know from her biography, um, she she always had to hide her sexual identity. She was a lesbian and being born in the 1921. And of course, she had to hide all of this in public and also to her family, uh, which was a normal thing at that time. And um, because otherwise you probably wouldn't have access to publishers anymore. The family would have a huge problem with it. So you just didn't talk about it. It was a complete taboo, of course. And I think from having this biography of having to lead somehow a double life, 
you can you know see in society um double sides as well and all the abysses that are behind the surface so i think she was really destined to to um write about those difficult topics about violence in society about um about murderers who lead a double life and all that all those things i think you know you know how society works if you have to lead a double life yourself yeah and i was um struck by her mother who was quite a piece of work <laughs> yeah she was not uh, she, she this was also probably one of her first uh, feelings that she was really not accepted in this world also by her mother um her mother wanted to abort her first and then she uh she um divorced just nine days before she was born i even found in texas you know this the divorce certificate which said it was nine days before she was born so it was very particular it must have been a very difficult situation for that woman to get that child and she was uh leaving um little patricia with her grandmother in texas you know just to to try to make a living as a, a graphic designer in New York. She then uh, met a new, a new uh, husband and uh, married and they took Patricia to New York when she was seven, but she was really growing up the first years in Texas with her grandmother, which was for her a very important and, and uh, positive uh, person, actually. That had to be quite a cu culture shock for her too, going from Texas to New York. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah, it was a quite a different life. It was a city life compared to, you know, Fort Worth was a city as well, but it probably was a very small and uh, slow city at that time. By uh, comparison, yeah. By comparison of New York. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, were there any particular surprises? in your research that you discovered things that really surprised you well um we for example found out that patricia hasmus had probably been growing up with a um a black nanny because uh, the um, the grandmother and the grandfather came from alabama and they were coming from a cotton plantation uh, they had the family had a cotton plantation so obviously they had a lot of slaves uh, at some some point and of course slavery was all, already abolished but when they traveled to texas they uh, migrated to texas uh, in 1907 they probably took some of the servants with them and patricia Eismis must have you know uh, grown up the first years with a, with this black person called house which was a woman and working for that family so um this was a quite a surprise and i think there was a lot of women you know i didn't know about before i was looking for a lot of ex-lovers patricia highsmith was quite notorious she, she had a lot of lovers and uh, it was not easy to find all of them first of all a lot had already died but um but some were also an anonymized and non anonymous yeah 
anonymous 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 sometimes biographies and i couldn't even you know know the names of them uh-huh. so I, I had to find out all the names and um and for some it really took a long time until i could uh, track them down uh one was i had two years to find out her name at some point somebody just you know said the name um slipped it slipped uh, her and because everybody didn't want to say the name because she was not outed she was a lesbian but other or also a lesbian probably b but she was married and so nobody w- would tell tell me her name and uh, when i found the name out i could uh, of course immediately spot spot where she was where she lived and what she did and all those things but when i came there to this house it was in london they were just uh, moving the furniture out of the place and she had just died recently so it was i just missed her for for some weeks or months wow you did a lot of traveling and making this didn't you yeah, it was quite some uh, research, actually. It was sometimes a, a bit of detective work to do all yes. this. <laughs> it was actually nice because I found it, I found it a bit, you know, like Patricia Highsmith's own writing sometimes, although she doesn't write, write the, the classical detective novels or, but still it has <laughs> something in common. <laughs> Did you feel like a sleuth? i'm i'm interested in the fact that uh both the talented mr ripley and stranger on strangers on the train have characters important characters who feel they are incapable of guilt basically they just Mm -hmm. are incapable of feeling guilt Mm -hmm. um do you uh think the documentary sheds any light on why she would write about characters of that sort I think guilt was a very important topic for Patricia Highsmith because in her own life, as you can imagine, um, being a lesbian in that time, she had um, some sense of always uh, being there guilt, <laughs> I think. And, and yeah. that this, this, she was also growing up in a not, not in a religious family, but it was, you know, quite for example the grandmother was very methodist quite religious she was also herself still going to church uh, even singing in a church choir at some point and i think the the guilt problem for herself somehow it was something that she always thought thought about and and with ripley she did invent a character who was absolutely guilt-free so this was like some kind of utopia for Patricia Highsmith to write about somebody who, who doesn't have the feeling of guilt and who is really unscrupulous, unscrup- is it the word? Yes, unscrupulous, exactly. And um, and I think it, that's also what, what all <clears throat> readers like so much about him. Can you imagine somebody who doesn't have a feeling of guilt? I mean, it's like the huge freedom. <laughs> it is it is a huge yeah. freedom exactly yeah. even if uh, it's murder <laughs> <laughs> yeah no matter what <laughs> just do whatever you want and just yeah exactly. carry on <laughs> I think it was you know it was a huge success this character somehow and I think it was for the first time also that somebody wrote a character like this and really like going into his mind 
um, although he's such an immoral person somehow. That's, that's a great point. That's really interesting. Um, what else do you like to read other than Patricia Highsmith? Oh, that's a difficult question. <laughs> I like to read so many things. Um, right now, I've started to read, uh, <laughs> it's, it's right there, Gershom Sholem, uh, From Berlin to Jerusalem, which is, I think, uh, childhood memories of, <laughs> of somebody. I love that. And then I read a lot of poems, actually. Cool. This is probably why I also liked all the poems that Patricia Heismith has written. She, she, this was totally surprising as well. I mean, if you read her novels, there is probably some very few poetic sentences, but in general, you could, you, she's not that typical poetry writer. And there, there has been some poems published, but really, really rarely. But in her notebooks, she writes poems all the time. It's a daily thing that she does. And I really love that side to show that side as well, that she really writes a different kind of text as well. So I picked a lot of poems for that film. That's great. It's, it's wonderful. Um, let's see. What advice would you give to anyone who's interested in writing for film? or doing what you're doing? You mean making documentaries? Um, making documentaries? Yes. Or just even writing for film in general. Writing for film? I think it's very different in the US and in Europe, because in Europe, you have all these funders. And you know, you first of all, you just have an idea and you write a story down. It's all in written. I think in the US, it's more like pitching. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's it's a bit different, different, and but I think if you want to do something like that, just go ahead and uh, try it and uh, try to get to get somebody um, enthusiastic about your ideas and try to get some some funding in in Europe. I would say, and in in the US, it's probably some production company that's interested in the film and. Uh, and just try to go ahead. I mean, I find it a very, the greatest job <laughs> I could imagine. That's awesome. Probably, but probably you shouldn't expect too much money from it. <laughs> <laughs> that is very, very true. And I mean, it's a lot happen. of work. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it's not, you know, the normal. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your normal job it's just no. it's a passion really yes come down to it yes. um all righty um is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish up yeah probably i should add something about the music of the film because it oh please been, do it has been um uh done by two by a french musician noel Akshete. he's a guitar player and he invited two American guitar players who are very well known in, in the US, Bill Frizzell and Marie Halverson. They are two great, great uh, jazz guitar players. There's also, we also made an album from the whole soundtrack and above that. So if somebody's interested in music, uh, just go ahead and uh, look at the album, which is also called Loving Highsmith. 
that is fantastic. This is such this is such a cool project, you guys. This is such a cool film. I really encourage Thank everybody to see it. It's great. And um you can count on my putting up a review somewhere online. Oh, <laughs> Five <absolutely>. stars. <laughs> yeah. It's actually starting in the beginning of September at, in most cities. It's it's Excellent. now I think it's starting uh, the second in New York the 2nd of September and in other cities, sometimes around the beginning of September. Is yeah. it going to be mainly in theaters? Is it also available online streaming? Um, first, it's going to be in theaters and I think it doesn't take too much time till it's also available in streaming. And there will be a DVD as well with, with a lot of bonus material. Cool. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. Well done. Thank well, you. thank you. I want to thank you so much for being here because this has been a great talk and I just love listening to filmmakers too. So um, thanks, thanks so much. much. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, yeah, it was a great pleasure to me as well. Thank you. Um, and with that, I will just say, please leave a review if you enjoyed the show. Um, and uh, consider becoming a uh, patron on Patreon, where I uh, provide bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early access to my new releases. I have a book coming out soon, so hopefully I'll start uh, posting some stuff from that there. And there are also uh, Crime Cafe eBooks, um, which you can either buy through a retailer or get by becoming a patron. And with that, I'll just say thank you so much for listening. Our next guest on the show will be Indy Pero. And until next time, take care, happy reading, go see this movie, and um, just happy reading. Till next time, be seeing ya. Mm -hmm.